Another month has passed So even though no one asked We're about to explore it all on the Dan Chronicles Hello everybody and welcome to another edition of the Dan Chronicles We have officially made it to June June 2023, which means you're getting another email or you're getting another podcast. Uh, yeah, if you're not getting the email, get the email. It's Dan Berg, Dan with two N's, uh, .substack.com. You can also find it on my website, dannb.org. And yeah, you should sign up. But it is June, almost the end of June, and it is still kind of cool outside. The weather is not really warming up so far, at least this season. Uh, it's been many years, almost a decade. So I remember about a decade ago, there being a summer that didn't really get that warm. And the only reason I remember it specifically is because at the time I was living in this sweltering apartment with three other roommates. And I had a little tiny indoor, like an in-window AC unit. And I would try to run it as infrequently as possible. Um, but most nights in the summer, it would be like, okay, I would run it at night, turn it off in the morning, and then just go about my day. And there was one year where I remember that it just didn't get that hot. And I remember only turning on the AC maybe like two or three times the entire season, whereas usually every other season in that apartment, and I was there for four years, I would be running it for maybe like month and a half, two months of the year. And yeah, it feels like we're having that type of season where now I kind of have central air, uh, very fortunate to live in an apartment that is good insulation and such. Uh, but yeah, it's just not getting that warm. I'm commuting to work and still wearing hoodies and it's almost July. So I'll take it. I like the cooler weather, um, but it also really is weird. Um, but it has happened before, so it's not necessarily indicative of anything larger or uh, I guess immediate, because obviously things are changing uh, in terms of our climate. But uh, yeah, just a colder season, and I guess that that's what we're dealing with this year. I'll take it. We'll see. We'll see what I'm talking about in July. Now it's time for the stories. So Apple announced its new mixed reality, augmented reality, virtual reality, whatever headset this month, and I feel like I need to talk about it. That's like within the realm of my interests and my newsletter, Uh, although I haven't tried it. So I don't really have that much to say. Uh, I do want to try it. Um, I think it'll, it's, it's an interesting hypothesis. Uh, And I think that the hypothesis, and I mean, the, the hypothesis is that there is room in the market for a new mixed reality headset, right? Like that is not proven by any means, but it is something that several companies, mostly Meta or Facebook, and now Apple are trying to set out to see. And so far, until Apple presented their vision, we've only had Mark Zuckerberg's vision. And his vision was very much like based around one, gaming, and two, being social, right? And to get the device, the headset, as inexpensive as possible, that you can get them into as many hands as possible. And then once people have them in their hands, they're going to use it to socialize with their friends, and they're going to use it to play games. And he did that. And he had the headset, and it was okay. Some people liked it. Most people didn't. Um, and it exists. 
But I think the challenge with the existing VR headset uh, that Mark Zuckerberg had put out is that it is kind of like it's worse versions of both of those activities. Like you can play a couple of fun games, but it's not like it's materially better than sitting down with a controller and playing the PlayStation 5 or or Nintendo Switch or something. It's not going to be better necessarily than like the casual games that you're going to play on your phone as you're like killing time in your house or, or watching TV or whatever. Um, and in terms of socializing, like it's better than just sitting alone, uh, but it's not better than like actually hanging out and spending time with your family and friends. And yeah, that sort of existed in this place and that's been the vision thus far. And so that's what most people think about virtual reality. And then Apple came along and it solved a lot of the things that we just didn't really think were solvable uh, in terms of the, and I think this is the best example. There was an interview with Steve Jobs uh, that there's clips around somewhere floating where they're talking about augmented and virtual reality, um, obviously a long time ago before Steve Jobs passed. And his response wasn't, no, we will never do it. It was mostly around how headphones are sort of miraculous because you can put this tiny device on your ears and you will get the high quality audio, the high fidelity audio, uh, as you could from a really, really nice speaker. And so you can get that really high quality, good experience on the go with the technology that we have. But when it comes to virtual reality, there is no display that you could put on that would give you as good of a quality as just your eyes. And because of that, virtual reality is not feasible. And until we can do that, virtual reality is just not feasible. And what they've proven with this Vision Pro, um, at least I assume based on the demo, as well as feedback from people who actually did the demo, is that they solved that. They were able to one, get the resolution high enough, get it so that there's not a delay in terms of what you're seeing. They're able to do enough processing fast enough. And all this sort of stuff where when you put on Meta's virtual reality headset, it very much feels like you're looking at a computer and that you are looking at a lower quality, even though the the quality is good. It's a low quality thing in the same way that like low resolution pictures, just you, you can tell it's a lower resolution picture. You look at video games seven or eight years ago versus now, like there there's a difference, even though seven or eight years ago, they looked really good. Uh, and I think Apple really pushed the bar forward in terms of the technology and presented this vision where, oh, if we have these sorts of things solved, what does that mean that this device can do? And I think what Apple is presenting, and again, they haven't proven this at all, is that it's kind of like a different context for working. Uh, at least that's my take from it. Where like you have your laptop and your laptop could be a main productivity workhorse, right? Like that's what you're using in the office. That's what you're using to, to get work done, to write essays. Uh, next, you have an iPad, which is a little bit smaller, or even if it's the same kind of display, uh, it's a different device, which means you're not really going to be as productive on it, or most people aren't. Um, like you can still get a keyboard, you can do some stuff, but it just feels different in a productivity way than your laptop does. And even further, you have the iPhone, where theoretically you could 
do all of your work on an iPhone, responding to all your emails, doing all that kind of stuff. But it just feels more constrained uh, because of the device and the screen size. And and likewise, your your Apple Watch, you could do all of your email on your Apple Watch, but that just would be a miserable experience. And what I'm kind of hearing about this headset is it kind of brings a new context for computing that expands beyond a laptop screen, which is great, but it is limited in terms of its placement in your room. And it moves these digital tasks that you want to do, whether it's browsing the internet, whether it's answering emails, whether it's writing something, it expands that to your entire room size. And so I kind of understand the context of, okay, you might put this on and get your work done for the day in the same kind of time period that you would sit at your laptop and do whatever work you're doing there. And then you would take it off and go about your normal life. Uh, And I think Nobody really thought about VR in that context before just because it was such a poor experience. But if it's no longer a poor experience and it's kind of an improved version and you can do just kind of like expand your productivity to your entire room and feel like rather than being cramped on your monitor or like getting a second monitor and being like, oh, wow, I can do so much more because there's two monitors. It kind of expands that to your entire room. Uh, And conceptually, that sounds so interesting and so appealing to me. So I am really excited to kind of see how this plays out. And I definitely want to try it myself. Uh, It's really expensive. It's really expensive at $3,500, maybe more if you're getting the glasses, because you have to get a special prescription lens if you wear glasses and, and all this sorts of stuff. So it's definitely not for everybody, but it's one of those where it's going to be purchased and used by early adopters and by developers. And those two people are going to get this device in hand. They're going to see whether it is actually a useful device or not. And if it is what it is useful for, and then maybe in like five to 10 years, when it gets down in price and it's the same price as a laptop, maybe it'll replace a laptop where people have a phone and or an iPad, then they have a VR headset rather than a computer. I don't know. That that's again, this is all just hypothesis and guess. I haven't actually tried it, but I kind of understand how it could fit in now, which I didn't really have that understanding before. So, yeah, I found the announcement really compelling and I'm excited to see how it goes. Avi and I saw this really interesting, really compelling Netflix documentary series. Four parts, each part is about an hour and is called Chimp Empire. And it It follows two warring factions of this giant chimpanzee society in Uganda, and it is probably one of the most cinematic documentary experiences I've ever experienced. So they discovered this chimpanzee civilization about 25 years ago, and researchers since then have been out in the jungle researching them, which means that these chimps have gotten used to humans being around and they've got more important things to worry about like warring factions and so there's just used to humans always being around so humans went in there with cameras and filmed this entire documentary in the most cinematic way that it almost feels like game of thrones but real life and with chimpanzees there are characters that you grow to like with unique personalities there are power struggles there's different dynamics and it's just a fascinating look into the world of chimpanzees that this four-part documentary series if you're looking for something to watch and you have netflix i definitely recommend to give it a try there's some 
uh, articles online about behind the scenes, but I definitely recommend watching the series before diving into that stuff. But it makes me want more chimpanzee material. And it's a shame when the one piece that you just consumed is like the top tier. There is nothing better in the world of chimpanzee research because now I can't even go and like read more about chimpanzees and like have uh, as good of an experience because I just consumed the top tier. But anyway, great stuff. Highly recommend checking it out. Next, I just sort of touch on this Reddit drama. Um, In case you haven't seen, uh, Reddit is changing their terms, which basically means any third-party application, they're killing it off. Uh, And I mean, businesses sometimes need to make tough decisions, but the thing that really struck me is just how like cruel and mean the CEO is with this rollout and just a total lack of empathy. And it's just really bummed me out. There's a lot of services that I kind of just don't really use anymore because I either don't like the founder or don't like the company. Uh, things like Facebook, I don't really, I try not to use and, and I use Instagram in a limited way. Um, I definitely pay money for privacy focused alternatives to email and Google search. I have an alternative to uh, Twitter. I just kind of stopped using because I really didn't like how Elon Musk, that whole thing played out. And yeah, I guess Reddit is now being added to the list. In fact, the CEO of Reddit, Steve Huffman, has said that he looked to Elon Musk and his takeover of Twitter uh, as uh, a role model for himself, which is just a huge bummer to me. I don't understand how anybody kind of sees that. And with the loss of revenue that Twitter had and everything, I just don't understand how people want to follow that. And so... Yeah, I guess the the application that I use called Apollo, amazing application for the iPhone, is going away at the end of the month. And most of my Twitter usage, or not Twitter usage, most of my Reddit usage is going to be uh, going away with that. So I'm, I'm just super bummed. I'm feeling sad about it. So speaking of Apple's Vision Pro, I saw this interesting TikTok video that kind of approached different generations and explained them and, and had a hypothesis about the, the youngest and, and currently still unnamed generation in terms of their digital usage and uh, everything that I found really interesting and really compelling. Uh, and so it kind of goes like this. So when you have the boomer generation online, they get the piece of technology. They were already old when that happened. Uh, and so they already had their models for society and culture and how they should be socializing. And so they just kind of like lift and shifted that to the digital age. So it was very much Facebook. It was Facebook events for finding out where to uh, go and what to do, and then using that to rebuild their physical social groups into digital versions. And next, you kind of had millennials who were children when the internet came out. And because it was this new kind of scary thing, it was drilled into their head that the internet is dangerous. And also that if you put something bad on the internet, it could haunt you forever. Like you could get fired or you could not get into college if you post the wrong thing on Facebook or Instagram. Uh, And so as a result, millennials have this very curated kind of online persona for what they're posting on it. They like to put their best foot forward. Um, And then you have Gen Z, which is sort of the first like native online where they were kind of forced to be online and everything was online. And so they decided just to be, just to have fun with it and, and really just not even care or try it. Like trying too hard was seen as uncool, but since you had to be online, you sort of made fun of that. And a lot of their humor was very much anti-humor and making fun of being online. Um, And if you tried too hard, it just, it, it wasn't cool and they made fun of you. 
Um, and the, the next theory is that the, the generation that's coming afterwards is actually going to be the most privacy-focused generation of all time. And rather than going through life with their, their face as their identity online, they'll have these digital avatars. So if you've seen Bitmojis or you have uh, an Apple kind of with their vision pro headset you can make a facetime call but rather than people seeing your face because you have this headset on you have this digital avatar of yourself and so the theory is this younger generation is just gonna see it really cringe to have a really strong online presence with your actual face and actual voice and instead they're gonna have like instagram but it'll all be their avatar and they're gonna have all of these sorts of apps that are similar to the ones that we use but not with their real face and their real face is going to be reserved for actual relationship with real real people lastly i just want to talk about music because there are two documentaries one feature length and one just a 13 minute 60 minutes segment uh, that I just found really compelling. The The 60 minute segment was on Rick Rubin, who is arguably the most influential music producer of all time, who doesn't really make music himself. He just has a specific taste. He's opinionated and he knows how to articulate that taste. And he's just been really influential to a lot of artists making music. And this 13 minute documentary on 60 Minutes was just really interesting and really compelling about somebody who just has this innate skill with music that honestly I do not understand and I cannot really relate to. And so I found that utterly fascinating. And as a juxtaposition to that, I recently watched this feature-length HBO documentary called Listening to Kenny G. And actually, now that I'm thinking about it, maybe I mentioned it in a past newsletter, uh, but kind of the documentary dived into how soulless many people find his music and sort of why that might be. And I think that these two documentaries, the Kenny G and the Rick Rubin, are really interesting kind of when viewed together as one unit, as, as two sides to a single coin. And if you're somebody that likes music or you're somebody that is kind of like me and enjoys it but doesn't really understand how people are so moved by it. I think both of these pieces are interesting to look at together. Uh, And I mean, it's just a good thing that I never really tried to make music because I imagine it would be more like Kenny G than it would be Rick Rubin, uh, which is why I don't make music. I make podcasts. And that's it for the newsletter this month. Thank you so much for tuning in and listening. Uh, Make sure you sign up for the newsletter at my website. It is danb.org. And with all that said, I hope you have a good one and I will see you next month.